If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New Miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to Miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Scared to death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. I'm Lindsay. Uh, Really quick, we'll get into announcements and then quickly get out of them. Okay. Get right to our show today. How nice. Uh, for this week's merch announcement, while I was right about eyes not bleeding when you're tired, <laughs> apparently, it's not I was, true. apparently I was wrong about something else recently. As it turns out, you absolutely can Coors Light your way into seeing cryptids and monsters. <laughs> we got a lot of emails. We've been told by many of you that, that one can, in fact, become werewolf drunk. Oh my gosh, I love this. So check out the cool, neat, cool new tee at badmagicmerch.com featuring a double exposure design of a howling drunk werewolf. And the phrase, let's get werewolf drunk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this awesome. is fantastic. Uh, silly design this week. So head on over and check that out. And now you have uh, the amounts for our donations and a little word about the scholarship and then we're off. I have two things to say to you guys. Okay, so uh, just a reminder again that this month we are donating to Sleep in Heavenly Peace, a group of volunteers who build, assemble, and deliver beds to families in need. Our donation amount this month is $14,014. That's a weirdly like, (laughs) it's hard to say. Uh, And then we're adding another $1,557 to the scholarship fund. That'll go into next year's uh, pool so that hopefully we can offer either more scholarships or three larger scholarships than what we're offering this year. And on that note, scholarship fund is off to an amazing start. Thank you to everyone who has submitted their applications. Applications can be found if you go to badmagicmerch.com at the top, look for the scholarship tab and all the information is there. The link, the step-by-step process, very easy to do. And the deadline is April 24th. So you've got about a month from right now, April 24th at 3 p.m. Central time. Important to know that. So, you know, don't wait to the last minute like our kid does. Just do it by (laughs) April 23rd and you'll be okay. Uh, Good stuff. Thanks to everyone who makes this possible. All of our Roberts and Annabelles. Mm-hmm. And our bad magicians mm-hmm. and space lizards. Yeah, it's such a cool thing. 
Uh, okay, so what fan submitted true horror okay. uh, do you have for us? Haha, <laughs> I forgot I was going to do that. This week. <laughs> I forgot I had stories. I, I can to start tell. with mine. No, it's okay. Okay. Um, my first story uh, introduces a new um, thing, I'm going to call it, that I've never yeah. heard of, and I don't want to tell you what it is. I'll discuss it when we begin my stories, but I'm like, I've never heard that term before. And, uh, and also, it relates to the hat man. Are mm. we, you and I, yeah. by doing this show, feeding into the hat man. Ooh, are we uh, creating more sightings? Maybe, maybe, maybe we're making him stronger. And then my second story takes us to, I can't believe we haven't had this yet, um, someone who cleans houses for a living and experiences something in a house. It's like, oh yeah, of course. Like you would be in and out of so many homes if you're a professional home cleaner. Yeah. The amount of like energy that you would encounter in different places and then like weird shit people do. Yeah, Cleaning yeah. Cleaning up their messes. Like, I like that. Yes. I like that. I never thought of that before. But Me yeah, either. Just, uh, occupation that takes you in and out of so many people's homes and what you might encounter in those homes. Occupational hazard. Yeah. Eek. Uh, for my stories, the first one is pretty brutal. Oh. Uh, deals with some real life heavy stuff, uh, child and spousal abuse. Okay, cool. So if you need to skip out, go ahead. And a spirit that seems to feed off of all of that torment and make it worse. Is a dark one. Uh, next, I'll share the infamous legend of the Dover Demon. Cryptid? Alien? Hoax? Did four teenagers really see some sort of monster in a Massachusetts town just outside of Boston in the spring of 1977? I was hoping it was Dover, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yep. Uh, no setup at all on this first one. So straight to the chill. So once you're socked up and ready to go, I'm getting in. I would like to thank Brandon in Denver. for the. I got a three-pack of like cute socks. I got a witch's hat on today. And the bottom of these socks, even the grippy is like a little, um, it's upside down, but it's like a little haunted house. Is that fun? <laughs> that is very cool. Yes. So thanks, Brandon. Okay. I'm going to get cozy, but I know you told me no setup. So like you do your yeah. thing. I'll do my thing. Okay. Okay. Time now for the tale of the rocking chair. Squeak, 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 squeak. That's how it all started. With hearing a rhythmic squeaking noise. I was 10. It was the middle of the night, and that sound woke me up. I looked across my room, slightly illuminated by my nightlight, and my eyes focused in on movement coming from a rocking chair in the corner. Back and forth, back and forth it rocked, and sitting in it was the figure of an old woman. And immediately, she scared the living crap out of me. She was staring at me. She had a scowl and a heavily lined, cruel face, her brow furrowed. Back and forth, back and forth, she continued to rock. At first, I thought I was dreaming, but I never woke up from what I was seeing. I was already awake. I was about to scream out when suddenly she hissed at me, Shut your mouth, boy. I was too scared to defy her. Instead, I just covered myself with my blanket and hid, hoping she'd go away. But she didn't. She kept rocking in her chair. Squeak, 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 squeak. I don't know how long that went on. Eventually, after what felt like hours, but may have only been minutes, I fell back asleep. The next morning when I woke up, I convinced myself that it had been a dream. I must have thought I woke up just like you do think you wake up sometimes in real dreams. I was glad the dream didn't lead me to actually scream out. My dad would have let me have it. I didn't tell him or my mom about it. I didn't have great parents growing up. Still don't. I barely speak to my mother. Haven't spoken to my dad in years. My dad has been an alcoholic for over three decades, at least, since before I was born. And he's just a mean bastard. 
He always found a reason to whip me with the belt growing up for the littlest things, and I do mean whip. He hit me hard enough to break the skin a whole bunch of times. Over nothing, too. When he asked me to do something, even if I did it, even if I said, yes, sir. When he asked me if I did it, sometimes he still hit me. And mom just watched. If she said something, he'd scream at her. Maybe grab her by the hair, threaten her, maybe hit her, too. Our family was like something out of a bad movie. And it was just the three of us. I didn't have any siblings for dad to spread the pain around to or to protect me or for me to try and protect them. When I was older, maybe I should have, but I never tried to protect mom. I hated her. She was supposed to protect me and she never did anything. Didn't even comfort me afterwards. She was afraid it would just set dad off again. And she'd make excuses for him. Tell me about how hard he worked, how tired he was. Advise me just to do as I was told. Watch my tone. She got real into church around the time I started seeing the lady in the chair, so I guess for a bit she prayed for me too, but I don't know if God ever answered. Sorry if this is coming across like a sob story, just felt like I needed to explain why I never bothered going to my parents when I started to see her. They wouldn't have helped. Saying anything would have just made life worse for me. If I would have started waking my dad up with stories about a ghost, oh man, he would have really knocked my backside black and blue. I also bring this all up because I think that the old woman hated me too. I think she would have loved to beat my ass if she could have. It was no coincidence she showed up in my father's house. You'll see what I mean soon enough. After the first night, I didn't see her for a week or two, maybe three. And then one day, after throwing a football around with some neighborhood kids after school down the street, when I came home for dinner, I tracked some mud into the house. I didn't even notice any mud in the yard we played in, but there must have been some there, and I must have stepped in it real good. My dad was in a particularly foul mood that day, and pretty drunk already by dinner, and he really came after me, yelling about how I didn't respect my parents, didn't respect his house. He did the whole wish you were never born, you've never been anything other than a problem routine. I didn't say anything. I didn't need to. He always managed to work himself up more and more into anger once he got going. And pretty soon he was grabbing me by the arm, dragging me down the hall, and whipping my ass with his belt. And I swear, as he started to hit me, I heard it. Squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see her sitting there. Or so I thought. If my dad noticed anything, he didn't show it. I had to stay in my room the rest of the night. No dinner. I quietly cried a bit in bed that night, wishing God was real and hoping he'd kill my dad. That was a common line of thinking I used to have. And then I heard it again. Squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak. She was back. And this time, she was smiling. And I knew why. She'd enjoyed the show. She was glad I'd been whipped. She was every bit as bad as he was, maybe worse. Again, I covered my head with my blanket. Again, she continued to rock back and forth, back and forth. And then I heard her laugh. That'll teach you, won't it? She said. You need to learn some respect. Now this time, the rocking stopped. Word that she might still be there, I kept the blanket over my head until I finally fell asleep, hungry. I'm not entirely sure how long it was until I saw her again. Maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or two. It's been so long now. But I remember what happened the night I saw her next. I broke something. Kind of. It was more of the neighbor kid's fault, but dad didn't care. I was playing catch with the kid next door. There was no fence between our yards, and we were tossing a baseball around. Man, I used to love baseball. The neighbor kid was a pitcher and was practicing trying to throw a curveball or something. And he really overthrew it. And the ball hit the passenger side front door of my dad's Mustang. Wham! It was loud, and it dented the door. 
Dad came flying out of the house, down the front steps a moment later. Dad, I'm sorry, I yelled. Get in the house and go to your room. He yelled back. My eyes were already tearing up. I knew it was going to be bad. And it was. Before he came back inside, I heard him and mom get into it. She dared to ask him what had happened, and he went off and told her how stu- her stupid son had just ruined his car. And then I heard a smack, followed by sobbing. And that was followed by loud footsteps pounding down the hall towards my room. Right before he came in, ever so slightly, the chair started rocking. I just noticed it before my dad whipped toward, or before my head whipped towards my father flying into my room. Dad, please, I started to say. And then the room went blurry and there was a ringing in my ear. He'd slapped me on the side of the head and boxed my ear. It knocked me to my knees. Over the ringing, I could hear the chair behind him rock louder. I could see her sitting there with a smile on her face. I could hear her laughing. My dad again didn't seem to notice as he started to take off his belt. He whipped me so bad that night, I had to stay home from school the rest of the week. I couldn't sit down for a few days. All I could do was lay on my stomach. And while I laid on my stomach at night, the old woman was often with me, rocking away, happy as could be. And no one noticed her but me. My dad might have felt guilty about that beating. He never apologized, but he didn't come after me again for a month or two. Maybe he was just getting worried about being caught or something. Maybe I was able to be extra careful about not messing something up in front of him and staying away from him more. But I knew the peace wouldn't last. It never did. The next time, I knew things were going to be bad the moment I walked into the house. Dad was in his chair in the living room watching a baseball game on TV. Mom was in their room, and I could hear her crying. And I could hear the chair rocking in my room. Squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak. That was new. I'd never heard it going from outside my room like that before. Go see what's the matter with your mother, my dad barked. And tell her to get her ass out here and start making dinner. Yes, sir, I said flatly and walked down to the room. I had to pass my room as I did so and the door was open. I didn't want to look in, but I couldn't help myself. She was in there all right, smiling, rocking away happily. Once I was past my door, I could hear her call out to me, You're going to learn some respect. When I went to my mom's room, I could see that her eye was already starting to swell and blacken and she was finishing up packing her things. I told her what dad said and she said we'd have to figure out dinner for ourselves. She was leaving and she didn't offer to take me with her. I asked her to, and all she said was sorry. Couldn't even look at me when she said it, and then she zipped up her suitcase, stormed down the hall without even saying goodbye. I followed her, trying not to look at the old woman in the chair as I passed by my room again. I knew she'd be there, and she was, just rocking away. My mother ran past the living room and kept running out into the yard. She hurried into her car, just got in and locked the door before my dad caught her. He screamed at her as she backed down the driveway, called her every name in the book. It was quite the scene. I watched from the front door. And the whole time I watched, behind me, I could hear her. Squeak, squeak. Squeak, squeak. My dad was beyond angry when he came into the house. I didn't know what to do. I didn't say anything. I wanted to go to my room, but not with her in it. I went and sat down on the couch. I tried not to look at my dad, but I couldn't help it. And that was all it took. What are you looking at? I bet you wish you were with her, don't you? You ungrateful shits. Neither one of you gives a damn about me. I'm the one who keeps these lights on. I put food on this table. And then he started to take off his belt. I popped up and started to run. I ran to my room. I didn't know where else to go. My dad ran in right behind me and threw a hail, and I threw a Hail Mary. Dad, someone's in our house. I pointed right at her as she rocked and grinned. He glanced towards the chair, seemed to pause. I know he could at least have seen that chair moving, but then turned back towards me as she laughed. You think I'm that stupid? He asked. And then he literally beat me unconscious. All I really remember before I blacked out was that evil woman continuing to rock faster and faster and laugh louder and louder like she was feeding off of my pain. 
I woke up sometime later to EMTs hovering around me and to police in the house and my drunk monster of a father in handcuffs being led out to a patrol car. Then I was off to the hospital where doctors ran tests on me. I had a concussion and various contusions and a fractured rib. Pictures were taken. A social worker talked to me. And after I healed up, it was off to foster care. I know sometimes foster care is a nightmare, but my experience was really good. I stayed with an older couple for a few months, grandparent types. They treated me far better than my parents ever did. They were just too old, they said, to adopt me. But the next family would, and I've considered them my only real family ever since. No more belts, no more beatings at all. And just as important, nothing else in my room again, ever. My dad spent some time in jail, my parents got divorced, neither one to my knowledge ever tried to get me back. Not that I wanted them to, but still. I did look up my mom out of curiosity when I was in high school, and I call sometimes. She never has much to say. Sounds like she lives with a guy who isn't that much better than my dad was. Dad, from what she has said, still lives in the same house where everything happened, alone. I asked my mom if she'd ever seen anything paranormal in the house, and she said no. But she did pause and said she felt stuff, like something was in the house with us, something bad. I asked her about that rocking chair. Where did it come from? She said it belonged to my dad's mother. I never knew her. She died when I was a baby, and dad didn't ever talk about her. I asked my mom what she was like, and she said she was just like my dad, but maybe meaner. Apparently really smacked him around when he was growing up. And it finally all made sense. At least to me. My grandmother's sick, demented spirit was attached to that chair somehow. I bet anything when she was alive that she loved to beat my dad. And then when she was dead, she loved to watch him do the same to me. I wonder, did she push him towards doing the terrible things he did from beyond the grave? And now, with just my dad in the house, is she still there? Does he sometimes hear her rocking? Does he ever bring anyone home to hurt them and give her a show? I call him, but... I don't want to hear his voice again. And not just that. After not seeing her again for all these years, I don't want to risk somehow opening some door to her finding me. I don't want any terror in my life ever again. The memories I have of them both are more than enough. That is a really awful story. Yeah. I fucking hated that story for so many reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's just like, ugh. Do you have pictures? I do, I do. Uh, no pics with this story, but... Uh, Maybe that lady in the corner looked like this lady. She doesn't look so bad. Right? Okay, she's not too bad. But what if she looked more like this uh, old lady doll in a rocking chair? I don't know why this doll was ever made. <laughs> it's a little palate cleanser here. What is that? Look at a close-up of this doll's face. It's like a weird, like, is it a stuffed... <laughs> what? Why is it so real? I know. Why would you want that? And it's, it's just in oh, a that's chair. like that's like weird, uncanny valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a couple feet tall, and it's just uh, oh god, found, it's found so on eBay. It's so creepy. <laughs> why? 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 And then last one. Hopefully, she didn't look like this lady. Uh, this old picture. This lady does not look. Does not look fun. I mean, she just looks like a dud. I'm Ho not. Hopefully, I'm not scared just of her. Hopefully, just dud, but not mean. That was, well. Uh, yeah, I told you, it was, it was an intense one. Yeah. Well, how, how's ter how fucking sad though, if like you're a little kid I know. And, and something is in your room and then you don't ever tell your parents because you know it won't like, it, it will be taken beyond not well. It will make your horrible well, life yeah, worse. It, it, it pushed the dad into giving his child a concussion and the right. cops showing up. It was like right. after that beating of like, dad, there's something in the house. And then. All bets were off. Yeah. But I did write down very early on 
that I wondered if the dad was possessed by the old woman in the house. And mm. so when you made that connection at the yeah. end about like his mom and I, I mean, what's to say yeah. that that's not a valid explanation? I'm not saying it justifies it or makes it okay or anything right. of, of that sort. Of course, yeah. it's horrific on so many levels. But what if, not but, yeah, and also yeah, yeah. what if that is what like caused it right because like the cycle of abuse continues right so that's like Mm -hmm. a very we've seen that time and time again in all forms of abuse totally people who have been abused tend to also become abusers because they haven't dealt with the trauma yeah yeah, yeah, not even like yeah yeah, uh the odds are increased many of them don't but yes yeah but many of them do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh so then okay so the dad's already got that working against him. Yeah. And then if his mom is like this truly, well, she was clearly an evil human. Yeah. And now if she has come back as an evil entity. Yeah. Well, it made me think about- That's a terrible combination. What are the fucking odds? Yeah, it made me think about that cycle of abuse. Like what if an entity could latch on to a family, which you've come across in other stories mm-hmm. and can be passed from one family member to the next generation to the next. And what if there was some horribly malevolent spirit that was like bent towards like abuse of that kind that stayed in a family for multiple generations. Like, and and what if the person inflicting the abuse, like somewhere in their mind was like, I don't even want to be doing this. Like, I don't know why uh, I'm doing this. What if the dad became an alcoholic because the the thoughts in his brain, like the, some sort of- down? Yeah, some sort of um, possession. Yeah. You know, and then he's like, what? No, 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 no. Like, here's his mom's voice in his head, is reliving all those memories, but just thinks that, well, of course I'm reliving these memories. You know, I had a horrible childhood. I was abused. But it's more intense than that. It's more complicated. Yeah, I mean, what an awful thing. Totally. I want to move on quickly. I do not (laughs) like that. I feel nauseous. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I know that was a brutal one. The next one, not so intense, I don't think. Uh, Are you ready? Sound like you are for the Dover Demon. Beyond. Before we head to a little town just outside of Boston, first a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. I live by routines, but I especially love my same day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. 
With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to those deals, creeps, and peepers. Okay, so what is the Dover Demon? Uh, The Dover Demon is a Massachusetts cryptid that was allegedly seen on two consecutive nights or days, excuse me, uh, back in April of 1977, about 15 miles from Boston. Sounds like you've been to Dover. Yes. <laughs> uh, the first sighting occurred on April 21st, 1977. A Dover teen said he was out driving when he saw a creature with large glowing eyes and tendril-like fingers. Another teen saw the creature in a different location the same night. Then a third, and really also a fourth witness, saw it uh, when they were together the following day. The Boston Globe would report that when plotted on a map, the three sightings formed a straight line covering approximately two miles. Two of the teens drew sketches of what they saw uh, of an eerily similar looking creature. Many people have proposed that the Dover demon was actually mistaken for a foal, a newborn elk, or a moose calf. The local police told the AP that the creatures were probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax. Others, though, still believe these teens saw some type of cryptid. Still others are convinced the creature witness was an extraterrestrial. The Dover demon has never been officially identified. For decades, all the witnesses have maintained that they were telling the truth. Time now for the tale of the Dover Demon. 17-year-old William Bill Bartlett uh, said he saw... Bill Bill? Bill Bartlett. William Bill Bartlett. Well, William, but known as Bill. Oh, okay. I thought it was Bill Bill Bartlett. I was like, this is a terrible start. Bill Bill. Oh, Billy Billy Bartlett. (laughs) Oh, Billy Billy. Uh, said he saw the creature around 10 p.m. on April 21st, 1977, when he was out driving down Farm Street with his friends Mike Mazzocco and Andy Brody. Bill noted that they hadn't had anything to drink when he saw it. He said he suddenly saw a creature crawling along a broken stone wall. He described it to the Boston Globe later as an eerie human-like creature about four feet tall with glowing orange eyes, no nose, no mouth, and a watermelon-shaped head. He claimed to see it from about 10 feet away for no more than seven, eight seconds tops while driving from uh, between you know one utility pole to another down the road. Years later, Bill further recounted what he saw to author and researcher Jeff Belanger saying, I see something ahead on the stone wall. I wasn't sure if it was a cat or a dog. My headlights were hitting this thing and the eyes were just glowing. Just like when you see an animal, its eyes are glowing. As I got closer, I got a really good look at what this thing was. It turned more toward me and I saw hand-like things grasping onto a rock. I still didn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, holy shit. And I asked my friends, did you see that? 
They didn't, but I was kind of freaking out at that point. Bill further described the creature as having eyes like orange marbles and peach-colored skin that was textured like sandpaper. Bill's two friends would, you know, not see the humanoid creature. Bill said that the thing was crawling to the left of him while Mike was looking over to the right and Andy was talking to Mike. The Milford Daily News quoted Bill as saying, I really flew after it. I took that corner at 45, which is pretty fast. I said to my friends, did you see that? And they said, nah, describe it. I did. And they said, go back, go back. And I said, no way, no way. When you see something like that, you don't want to stand around and see what it's going to do. But they finally got me to go back and Mike was leaning out of the window now yelling, come on, creature. And I was saying, Will, cut that out. And he was yelling, I want to see you. But the creature was gone. Bill dropped his friends off after all this, drove home. His father noticed that he was upset, asked him what was wrong. Bill told him what he saw and then drew a picture. Uh, Apparently, Bill has a near photographic memory and is a pretty talented artist. He wrote on his sketch, I, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. The second witness was 15-year-old John Baxter, who said he, I wanted to say John, John, just to mess with you. 15-year-old John, Johnny Baxter. John, Johnny. Uh, He said he saw the creature around midnight, April 21st, going into April 22nd. John was walking home from his girlfriend's house on Miller Hill Road, claimed he got exceptionally close to the creature. John initially thought the entity was his friend, M.G. Bouchard, who lived on Miller Hill Road, so much so that in the dark, John called out, M.G., is that you? John said that he and this figure then approached one another until by his estimation, they were just 15 feet apart. And then he called out again, who is that? At this point, he said the creature ran off down a shallow wooded gully, then up the opposite bank. John followed it down the slope, then saw across the gully, it was now about 30 feet away. He described the creature's feet as appearing molded to a rock, and it was holding a tree trunk for support. He said its head was shaped like a figure eight, and it had two glowing eyes and a monkey-like body. John now walked very fast back to the road and was picked up by a couple who were driving by. John Baxter also drew what he saw that night, His drawing was eerily similar to the Bartlett drawing. It's important to note that these boys were not really friends, had supposedly not talked to each other about their respective sightings yet. The following day, April 22nd, the first witness, Bill Bartlett, told his friend Will Tainter about what he saw. Will will claim to see it too. And not just him, but also his girlfriend, 15-year-old Abby Brabham. Brabham. Uh, Will was driving Abby home around midnight that night when they say they saw the creature on Springdale Avenue. Abby saw the creature first, on the left side of the road on, a co- on top of a culvert crossing the east branch of Trout Brook. She saw the creature crouched on all fours facing their car. Like John Baxter, Abby also thought it looked like a monkey. She described it as having tan or beige skin and no nose, no mouth, ears, or tail, but it did have glowing green eyes. Will's description was much less detailed. All he could say that it was, ha- that it- all he could say was that it had a large head and a tan body and had its front legs in the air. It looked similar to a dog to him, but Will wasn't sure it was a dog. Uh, the two teens sped away in fear. Will claimed that he only remembered Bill Bartlett's story after they left. He asked Abby to describe what he saw, supposedly without her knowing what Bill had seen, and Abby's description of the creature matched the other descriptions. All three witnesses who claimed to really get a good look at the creature matched in their descriptions, excluding small details. They described it as having no facial features except for glowing eyes. Abby said the eyes were green, while Bill said they were orange. John said they were colorless. Bartlett learned about John Baxter's sighting on April 26. He showed Bill his sketch. Bill was, quote, amazed by the similarities. Word now spread about what the teens supposedly saw, and soon New England native and cryptozoologist and author Lauren Coleman was coming to Dover. After seeing Bill Bartlett's sketch, Coleman went to the Dover Police Department on May 1st 
asked about any strange recent sightings. He showed the police both drawings and they requested copies. Coleman would be the one who would name the creature the Dover Demon. Coleman interviewed Bill Bartlett on May 2nd, John Baxter and Abby uh, Bramham on May 3rd, and Will Tainter on May 5th. On May 7th, The Real Paper, a Cambridge newspaper, now interviewed Coleman, Bartlett, Baxter, and Police Chief Carl Sheridan. On May 14th, the Associated Press and South Middlesex News called Coleman for more information, and now stories appeared in various news outlets on May 15th and 16th, and then the national news outlets picked up the story. Coleman now decided to gather a team to investigate. He reached out to Walter Webb from Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, APRO, and Joseph Nyman from Mutual UFO Network, uh, I believe it's called MUFON sometimes, and Ed Fogg from the New England UFO Study Group. The team did more interviews on May 17th and 21st, spoke with Bartlett on June 11th, also interviewed friends, teachers, and the local principal to determine the reliability of the witnesses. All the parents believed their children, except perhaps for Will Tainter's father, who thought that the kids had probably just seen an animal. And one reporter did quote Mr. Baxter as saying that John wrote science fiction stories, but Mr. Baxter still believed his son was telling the truth. A police officer told Coleman, At first I was going to ask one of the witnesses to give me whatever he was smoking. But I know all four, and I know that to all of us, they're very reputable. The research team interviewed a multitude of local residents to ask about other unexplainable sightings. One family claimed they saw a large UFO with rotating red lights and a white triangle back in 1969, but didn't see any actual UFO beans. Investigators came to the conclusion that it was certainly possible the teens really saw an unidentified humanoid creature. None of them were known as liars or troublemakers, and the fact that their descriptions matched added credibility to their story. Still, many people doubted the witnesses' stories and argued that they probably saw a foal or yearling moose or some other animal or colluded together to pull off a hoax. The Dover Demon has never been seen again. However, in 1978, Bill Bartlett thought he may have seen something else strange. He told the Boston Globe that he and his girlfriend were sitting in a parked car when he heard a thump and then saw a small figure fleeing. He has no idea who or what it was, but did acknowledge it could have been a kid playing a prank on them. A man named Mark Sennett told the Boston Globe that he and his friends may have seen the Dover Demon five years earlier, in 1972 on Springdale Avenue, where Abby and Will had their sighting. He said, I don't know if we really saw something. We thought we did. We saw a small figure deep in the woods moving at the edge of the pond. We could see it moving in the headlights. We didn't know. It could have been an animal. They reported what they saw to the police, but nothing came of it. The Boston Globe later reported that Farm Street, where the first sighting occurred, has been the scene of various strange occurrences since the 17th century. Some cryptid investigators have proposed that the Dover Demon could be a Manigishi, a creature from Cree folklore. According to naturalist Sigurd Olson, who wrote the book Listening Post, the Manigishi are little people with round heads and no noses who live with only one purpose, to play jokes on travelers. The little creatures have long spidery legs, arms with six-fingered hands, and live between rocks and the rapids. This creature, also sometimes referred to as the Mamagueshi, uh, was actually featured in Scared to Death episode 152, The Succubus in the Mirror, in the tale of the Toronto Tunnel Monster. I'll recap some lore here briefly for comparative purposes. The legend of the Mamagueshi comes from Ojibwe, Odawa, Cree, Algonquin, Inu, uh, Midas, and Menominee tribes, which tell stories of a hairy humanoid creature that once lived in the rivers until they forced it into hiding. The Mamagueshi is described as a water spirit found on the banks of waterways. The Mamagueshi are said to often like to prank humans. Uh, they can be both good and evil. 
Origin stories vary. Some say they came from the bark of trees. Some legends have them carving symbols on rocks and making canoes of stone. And in August of 1978, a Toronto man named Ernest claimed he saw something disturbing in the underground space outside his apartment. And his story would be published in the March 1979 issue of the, or a March 1979 issue of the Sunday Sun. Ernest said that he and his wife were caring for a litter of feral kittens in his apartment, and then one of them went missing. He went searching, ended up in one of the underground tunnels near his apartment, and he told the Toronto Sun, I saw a living nightmare that I'll never forget. When he entered the cave, he reported that his flashlight shined on a monster. He said it was pitch black in there. I saw it with my flashlight. The eyes were orange and red, slanted. It was long and thin, almost like a monkey. Three feet long, large teeth, weighing maybe 30 pounds with slate gray fur. Small creature was more animal than human, about the size of a small child. The creature turned towards Ernest in the darkness and allegedly hissed at him, go away, and then ran down the tunnel and Ernest ran in the opposite direction as fast as he could. Clearly, the descriptions between the two creatures differ, but it has been noted that all of the Dover sightings occurred near water and there are some similarities. Almost 46 years later, the Dover demon remains a mystery. Bill Bartlett still has no idea what the creature was and told the Boston Globe, in a lot of ways, it's kind of embarrassing to me. I definitely saw something. It was definitely weird. I didn't make it up. Sometimes I wish I had. To this day, no one knows exactly what the Dover demon was, a cryptid, an extraterrestrial, or a teenage hoax that has endured now for decades. I don't think Bill Bill made it up. You don't think Billy Bill and John John? <laughs> I love that. Like immediately I was like, Bill Bill? What? <laughs> William Bill? William Billy. Willie Billy. Willie Billy. Willie Billy. Oh, what a cute name. <laughs> oh, Willie Billy. That would be terrible. Yeah, that'd be cute when you're like four, four, five, six, and then it would start to get old pretty fast. Yeah, we bad in high school. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, well, I was wondering if it was a skinwalker. Mm, I don't know. They're generally, I mean, I guess, you know, technically it could be. Uh, they tend to be much larger creatures, uh, you know. Well, Deer is the traditional animal they kind of morph in and out of. Just at one point, somebody said like it was on its hind legs or like it just walked on two legs and they thought it was kind of furry. Mm-hmm. One person. I mean, there's varying descriptions. They're they're similar. Yeah. But but different. Uh, I know and- there, there are there are so many humanoid type creature, you know, sightings. There's so much lore around just that concept in general. Yeah. Just, you know, bipedal unidentified creatures out there. Bad beetle. Uh, also, Alien. Like, that mm-hmm. was kind of an interesting that's, that's twist. I, I, well, I, I have did... some photos that might make you lean to I'll show you the sketches that they drew. Okay, okay. Because I was going to say, just based on verbal description, yeah. Alien didn't even enter the the realm of possibilities in my brain until you brought up MUFON. And I was like, oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay, maybe Alien. Yeah, I, I think based on the sketches, this first one is Bill, this is uh, Billy Billy's. <laughs> Willy Billy. Willy Billy's sketch of the Dover Demon. <laughs> I mean, it's like kind of cute. I know, I know. In that sketch, it is kind of cute. <laughs> it's like, um, shoot, uh, there's a, a cartoon that has like a long face like that, and I cannot think of what it is. It's going to drive me crazy. Snoopy. I mean, it is kind of Snoopy-esque. Yes. And that, yeah, there's a little bit of Snoopy there. I, w- Snoop I, w- is I was thinking. Oh, Speaking of Snoop, did you guys know Snoop Dogg is on tour? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. This he, is like a total yeah, random sidebar. That would be a great show, actually, though. The high school reunion tour. Oh, my God. That's great. Him and Warren G. No way. That's fun. <laughs> anyway, He's also doing a tour with him, E40, 
Oh, um, wow. E40. And a bunch of California. Like, like the West, Mount Westmore is what it was called. Oh, that's great. I believe that Warren G is his cousin. Regulators. Yeah, I, th- I think they're related somehow. I think Warren G is Dr. Dre's cousin. Oh, is that the relation with the West Coast? Uh... Yeah, I think I think he's... Oh, no, he's uh, Dr. Dre's um, stepbrother, and then they were all friends. Oh. So cute. Okay, all right, cool. All right. Anyways, um, Snoopy th- th- and th- Snoop Dogg. <laughs> that picture rem- reminded me of like a, a skinny Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle without a shell. <laughs> but um, his head isn't the right shape. Yeah, not quite, but close. Uh, and then this next Snoopy. one, John Baxter's sketch of the Dover Demon. Oh, okay. Very similar. And I didn't think about... These are also excellent sketches. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think about the long, skinny fingers. Yeah. I know what I think somebody said they were like tendril like uh-huh, yeah it it just didn't okay now that the the fingers really give me alien vibes and and then of course you know modern interpretation various artists taking their stab at it you know tends to be a little creepier mm-hmm. so here's a here's a more I think alien monster looking Dover demon yeah definitely. That one almost has like webbed fingers. God, that's yeah, creepy. Yeah. It, it doesn't initially shock you. And then the more you stare at it, I'm like, I don't no think mouth. I care for that. And then finally, just a picture uh, of the guy. Uh, yeah, why does no mouth so scary? Mm-hmm. Maybe kind of that uncanny valley thing where a brain has mm-hmm. trouble with it, where it's like, it's like a human face, but missing a very important part of a human face that we tend to look for, for certain cues, certain social cues. And it's just gone. Yep. Uh, this is a guy, uh, Lauren Coleman, the guy who named the Dover Demon, standing in his new international cryptozoology museum, uh, Bang in in Bangor, Maine. Bangor, Maine. Yep. So if you have questions about what this is creature, that thing, well, you can you can you can stop by the store and ask him. But what is that? Do you know? I don't. It didn't say uh, in the picture. It does look familiar. It is <sighs> an old woman who's shriveled up. Yeah, like a, it's supposed to be like a little cryptid. Like a little mummy of a little cryptid. That's fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yep. That's uh. So yeah, that's the International Cryptozoology Museum dash Bangor store in Maine. Uh, let's go. <laughs> if Maybe. we ever if we ever go to Bangor. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I've never been to Maine. I've only been once. It was beautiful. I bet. We can try and drive by Stephen King's house. I was just going to say, maybe we'll run into Stephen at the museum. Maybe that's where he goes for <laughs> all so of his inspiration. <laughs> he's hanging. He's a regular there. <laughs> <laughs> they all know him as Stevie. Stevie. Him and Billy Willie they complain, they complain about him. Well, he always comes in and never buys anything. He always just looks around and then he goes and he writes his books and he like doesn't give us any credit. And <laughs> do we get any residuals or royalties about the characters he makes up? Nope. Like this weird uh, like animosity between them. <laughs> yeah. My God. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Steve. <laughs> we find out that Lauren's really Willie Billy. <laughs> oh, I can't get over that name. <laughs> it's just like killing me in my brain. Ah, okay. Are you ready? I am. To... I'm going to take a little wet my voice and settle in. Oh, you're going to wet your whistle? I'm yep. so I'm so glad you don't pronounce words like that. Wet <laughs> and whistle. It's just like, no, it's just whistle. Feel good? Okay. I do. So I didn't want to ask you any questions until you were lubricated in your throat. Thank you. That is always awkward. <laughs> I know. It's like, ugh. <laughs> All right. Have you ever heard of a tupa? A tupa. Tulpa, T-U-L-P-A. Tulpa. Tulpa. Uh-uh. Not that I recall. Okay, me either. And I'm not going to try and explain it because the sender inner of this story, Kevin, does a really good job right off the rip of explaining it. Yeah. The story is so odd. I, it, it took me multiple times of reading it to really wrap my head around what 
a tulpa was and what Kevin is suggesting might be happening. But Kevin is concerned that we are feeding the hat man just mm. just by talking about him and just by giving energy to him, which, oh. I mean, he's not the first person to suggest that. Mm-hmm. But this story really makes me take pause of like, hey. okay, maybe that's not a good idea. Hello to the queen of bad magic and crystals and the king of the suckverse. Mm-hmm. My name is Kevin, and I'm writing to you from beautiful Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. Nice. I want to pose you a question and then, after all, uh, and then after, tell you all an experience I had when I was just 16 years old. Have you ever heard of a tulpa? For the uninitiated, a tulpa is a being created from thought and willpower deriving from Buddhist practices. In a way, they're like imaginary friends for adults. Hmm. There is an excellent creepypasta about a tulpa simply named Tulpa, if you want to dig deeper on the subject. When I was 15 years old, I read this story about a man put into an experiment where he was asked to create a tulpa for research purposes. Curious if this was possible, I quietly decided to myself practice this on my own time in my own head. I promised myself to never tell anyone about it, and I didn't for well over a year. By the time I told someone, it had gotten very out of hand. I taught my brain to imagine myself or some form of myself standing beside myself or off in a corner when I was in school. I had him watch me and not interact with anyone else. This lasted a few months until it was something I just did instinctually. Day after day, there he would stand, dressed in clothes I thought were cool at the time, a long black coat and an old black hat. While this thought experiment of mine was going on, I was chatting with a girl in my class that I was falling head over heels for. Cassie came from a very religious family. At one point, she had liked me too, but the religious guilt on her part kept us apart since I was not a churchgoer. Nevertheless, this didn't stop her from talking to me all the time and flirting with me and stringing me along while I tried to figure out a way to make her become my girlfriend. It never happened, though. The weekend before my 16th birthday, she told me that she didn't ever want to be anything more than friends with me and for me to stop pursuing her. And she told me this the day after we had had a very romantic date, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I was shocked beyond crushed. I felt the lowest I could possibly feel. I felt sick at the thought of being alone. I wanted her to like me, to love me as much as I loved her, but I knew that would never happen. My tulpa, who was still standing in the corner watching my every move, grew an even evil smile across his face. A smile too large for any human to bear, and his eyes widened. He seemed to enjoy my pain, relished in it even, and like the stupid teenage boy I was, I fed into it. I saw friends less and less and buried myself in thoughtless games, listening to the same sad, wordless song over and over again. This may give you a giggle, but this song was Lavender Town from the first Pokemon game. (laughs) Silly, I know, but this song is genuinely creepy, and it helped me keep myself in this depressive, self-loathing state, and my tulpa loved it all. I would play that song on loop for hours, and he would be right beside me the whole time, watching me throw away my time. Eventually, a friend of mine had reached out to ask me if I had wanted to join him and another friend on a camping trip. He hadn't seen me outside of school in a long time and wanted to spend time together, much like when we were kids. The night before I left for his cabin, I decided that during this trip, after all of this time having this phantom figure following me, I would finally tell someone about it. I was and am a creative type, but didn't know how I could explain what I was seeing. So I drew a picture, and when I finished it, 
and looked down at it what and looked down at what I drew, I burst into tears. It was overwhelming. I knew what I had drawn. What I had been seeing was evil, but had I created it? My friend picked me up the next morning with his family and we headed to our destination. I felt my tulpa sitting behind me the entire ride, but it was somehow different. I felt like he was reaching inside of me, holding onto me from the inside out. For the first day of the trip, my laughs were fake and my my smiles were disingenuous. My friends knew that there was something wrong, noting how I had been acting funny, how I hadn't been my usual jovial self. I wanted to tell them everything. Head in hands, I looked up to my friends only to be met with an evil smile emanating from the fire, hovering behind my friends like a boogeyman coming out of the woods. I spilled my guts. I told them everything, when it started, how I was feeling, all of it. And then I showed them the picture. They looked at each other, obvious fear washing over them. They hugged me, told me I could count on them and that I didn't have to go through this alone, that they loved me like a brother. And in an instant, I felt that hold around my heart, that icy cold grip let go. In the fire, I saw the tulpa for the last time, his smile slowly turning to a frown as he stepped back into the darkness, and I never saw him again. Skip forward to January 2021, 11 years after the tulpa incident. You shared a story from a fan named Cece in the episode title, The Man With No Face. I was driving a work truck at the time, and when I heard her story over the radio, I pulled the truck over, listening in horror to what she had to say. What she described was something I thought only I had seen in my mind. My gut sank when you said you had pictures that Cece had drawn. I turned the data on my phone on and went to YouTube to see what the pictures looked like. They were nearly identical to the ones I had drawn all those years ago. My heart pounded. All these years, I had chalked it up to my imagination, to a depressive episode. But what if this thing was real? What if this entity was simply posing as the tulpa I thought I had created on my own? That thought still gives me chills. And I have a theory. What if the hat man is a tulpa and everyone who believes in him, like I did, gives him more power? A tulpa can be made by more than one person. And if multiple people believe him to be true, what stops him from being real? So maybe ask yourselves the next time you want to tell a hat man story, if it's the right thing to do, you might be doing exactly what he wants. Hmm. Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, good uh, good question and good story. Yeah, I like the wrap-up of it at the end. Uh-huh. Because I'm sure, like me, you were thinking, like, okay, you're a depressed teenage boy who got his heart broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that thought at one point for sure. And then with that, I mean, I mean, outside of the hat man, I mean, you could apply that to so many of the things we talk about here, you know, where, like, you know, like, it, it reminds me of when you say, well, if you're open to these things, you might see them. Like, if you close yourself off, uh, you won't. Uh-huh. And then th- that makes me think about how, like, what if these parano- a lot of these paranormal entities are parasitical in nature? Mm-hmm. Like some mm-hmm. type of spiritual parasite where, you know, like, instead of feeding off of your blood, they feed off of your belief somehow. But then, and, yeah. and, then, and then, or maybe that can help manifest them, but then they feed off of your despair. That's where I was going before, like, that ending question in my head was, uh, you know, how sad that would be and horrible if there's some entity that isn't going to, like— um, uh, even like, like an invisible friend, like the, like an, a really horrible version of an invisible friend, not necessarily scaring you all the time, but imaginary just, friend, imaginary. Yeah. It's yeah. Imaginary friend. I think they're all call, called invisible friends sometimes too. Aren't oh. they? Or imaginary friends. Oh, oh maybe not. Um, but, but a nefarious one where it's trying to isolate you mm-hmm. and just want you to be more sad and, and depressed and feel alone than scared mm-hmm. because it feeds off of that energy. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, like that thought really could take us back to your first story. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like- Things are parasites. Yeah, yeah. The worst and, kind. And it's tricky because I don't necessarily think that all of the possibilities of spirits and things that we see on the other, that we could see that are from the other side, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're not necessarily all evil. Right? Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, you know, it sounds to me like a tulpa could also be a good thing. It could yeah. be a coping mechanism. It could be like a guardian angel kind of vibe, right? Yeah. It's all in what you feed into it. So it's like, what if we only fed the good spirits, right. the good things that we felt on the other side? Or or what if like, you know, things like cryptids, I mean, we hear stories of people seeing them, but I don't necessarily hear about a cryptid like attacking someone. So to me, it's like this mm, thing that yeah. kind of exists out in the world, but it doesn't interact with my life. So how do we know what to feed, what not to feed, what to imagine our brains, what to give power to? Like it's, yeah, yeah. we need that rule book. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, I do like to think about the possibility that there's like, there's so much variation in like the world of flora and fauna here, like in in, in, in our universe, in yeah. our world, like so many, I, mean, I don't even know how many different species of animals and insects and plants and so many, I, I would imagine millions altogether uh-huh. that there could be an equal amount of variety in some kind of parallel dimension. Like if there's some spirit world, there could be thousands, millions of different things, all with their own traits. Yeah. So who, yeah, who knows? Like, you know, maybe we just seen the tip of the iceberg with all the different entities we've seen. Like you said, some good, some bad, some neutral, Mm -hmm. who knows? Yeah. Endless variety potentially. Yeah. And with the bad spirits, I think it's just more, um, we're, we're obviously more on edge about, you know, like we're working Mm -hmm. on a story late at night. I'm thinking about last night I was working on a story. Yeah, You'd gone out to sit in the hot tub and I was just like in there and just constantly over my shoulder out of the corner of my eye. I was just like, ah, and then thinking, don't feed into it. Don't give it energy. Just like move past it, let it go. But what if the feeling I got was like happy and jovial and I didn't even realize I was feeding into that happiness because it's not uh, a natural instinct to push against happiness, Mm -hmm. but you push up against fear. You're like, I don't want that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we obviously select the yeah. terrifying side for like scared to death, but there could be some other show called like Comforted to Peace, or I don't know, <laughs> instead of scared to Coddled death. to sleep. Coddled to sleep. Touched by an angel. Touched by an angel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. It could love just that be uh, a, a series of stories about like all the nice things. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could so maybe, maybe we have to stop this show, pivot. Mm. And only put good, positive stories together and put that out so that we're only feeding the good stuff. Oh, man. The 10 listeners we have left will love that show. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, what happened there? Yeah. But but very interesting and I, and, and cool to learn something new. A tul- yeah. A tulpa. 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 All right. Are you ready for one last story about going into random people? Well, I guess it's not random people's houses. If you are a professional home cleaner or you, oh, yeah, the one you, you clean offices, earlier. it's like, mm-hmm. I guess I don't want to say random because you would meet these people. You would learn the lay of the land of their house. Yeah. You would, you know, uh, have a relationship with them to some degree, but what a, what a fascinating thing to think about like day after day. Cause let's say you clean five houses a day, mm-hmm. five days a week. That's 25 different houses that you yeah, are entering in into of- different 25 different sets of energies, uh, life circumstances. Yeah, there should be a ton of haunting, uh, haunted house stories from uh, how, you know cleaners. Mm-hmm. And, and some people, the numbers. Their, uh, like their business is just cleaning and preparing houses for new tenants or like apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. Where that would, to me, that would have the, the most chance of experiencing something because it's so much turnover. Oh, Most yeah. people buy a house and live in it for a long time. Yeah. But like an apartment, 
especially like haunted. You know, we get stories about like, oh my God, I lived in this haunted apartment. Well, what if that complex had yeah. someone that cleaned all the apartments? I'm like, I don't know. It could just be a lot of evidence stacked up that one person could have. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay. Let's find out what's going on with Diego. I was born and raised in, oh boy, you guys, I've never taken a single Spanish class in my life. Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua, Mexico. Sounded good to me. Thank you. I don't know if that really counts for anything. I don't either. <laughs> a border town that is basically a sister city to El Paso, Texas. When my parents divorced, we moved to Las Vegas. My mom had a sister living there. And when she found out about her divorce, she encouraged my mom to come to Vegas to start over. My mom got a job cleaning houses and offices for a rich guy that had a lot of businesses and a lot of properties. My siblings and I would help my mom whenever we had the day off of school or on the weekends. We went to the rich side of town to clean a house one Friday. The house was a huge two-story home with four bedrooms and three and a half baths. My mom assigned us each a room or two to clean. I got the garage, one bathroom, and one bedroom. The moment we set foot in the house, we were all struck by this awful stench of something that had gone putrid. My mom told us it was simply the filth of the house that had accumulated and that we needed to get to cleaning right away. After spending just a few minutes in the house, I was overcome by the sensation that we were all being watched. I didn't tell anyone, though. I thought it was stupid to feel this way in broad daylight. I ignored it, attributing it to being in a house I had never been in before. I started my cleaning assignment upstairs in the bedroom. Upon entering the room and assessing the job ahead of me, I immediately noticed a strange stain on the carpet. The carpet was tan, and the stain was the color of wine. I thought nothing of it, and that it was just going to be a pain in the ass to get it up. I moved over to the closet to collect any trash left from the previous tenants, but the only thing that I found in the closet was a big jar, full to the brim with white rice, and a crystal pyramid right on top of the rice. It didn't make any sense to me, and it seemed so strange, so I decided not to touch it and left it there. I began mixing cleaning chemicals to use on the weird stain on the carpet, and as I made my way to my hands and knees to put some serious elbow grease into this stain, I noticed a lot of dead flies that seemed to have piled up along the window frame. There was also a variety of tiny red stains and a lot of hairs, as if someone had trimmed just the edge of their hair over the window frame. I couldn't help but think that those tiny little red drops were drops of blood. But I brushed it off, poured the mixture of chemicals over the stain, hoping it would loosen its grip on the carpet, and moved on to the bathroom while the cleaning solution did its job. In the bathroom, I discovered an even larger stain, very similar to the one in the bedroom. This one looked as though someone tried to pour something into the toilet, but had completely missed, spilling it all over the floor and the toilet. The toilet was empty of any water and was very, very disgustingly dirty. I poured what was left of the chemicals I had mixed over the filthy toilet and the floor surrounding it. I made my way downstairs while the chemicals soaked the stain-riddled bathroom. On my way downstairs, I checked the other two bedrooms, and to my surprise, there were stains in both of those rooms, and they were also near the windows as well. I panicked for a quick second, feeling like I was being watched, and thoughts raced through my mind of something awful that may have happened in this house. I heard the voices of my mom and my brother coming from the kitchen. I caught a glimpse of my brother walking out the kitchen door to the backyard, carrying a large black trash bag. I knew that the bags we used were white, and so I asked my mom what was in the bag. She said it was the source of the stench that she had found it hidden in the oven under the stove. Mm. She said it must have been a turkey or something. But I knew that whatever was inside that bag was far too big to be a turkey. 
Even after a few hours in the house, we couldn't stand the stench anymore. My mom opened all the windows to let fresh air in, and we called it a day. We arrived at the house at 10 a.m. the next day. Once again, when we set foot in the house, that putrid stench struck our noses, and the sensation of being watched came back immediately. My mom gave us some Vicks Vapor Rub to put inside our nostrils and told us to get to cleaning. I went upstairs, feeling afraid but determined to get the cleaning over with so that I could go back home and never come back again. I tried for hours to remove the stains off the carpet in all of the bedrooms and the walls of the bathrooms to no avail. I moved on to the windowsills, cleaning up all the tiny red drops of who knows what and sweeping away the hair and the dead flies. I felt the presence of something following me around the house. Every room I entered seemed shadowy, even with the lights on, and the stench didn't help. The only thing I could do was pray and concentrate on the worship songs that I was blasting, thinking that it might ward off any evil spirits inside the house. Finally, around 8 p.m., once it was dark outside, my mom decided to call it a day. We started to gather our cleaning supplies. I was scared to death of going upstairs to get the buckets I had left up there. I gathered all my courage and literally ran up the stairs, flashlight in hand. I grabbed my stuff, turned off the lights in every room, and ran back downstairs to the safety of my family. I was already sitting inside the truck waiting for my mom to lock the house and shut the lights off when my siblings and I heard her yelling out my name, telling me it was time to go. I yelled back, letting her know I was already in the truck. My mom came out of the house and didn't say one single word until we were well out, well outside of the neighborhood. Once she thought it was safe, she told us that she was yelling my name, telling me we had to leave because she saw me walking around upstairs. After hearing me yelling back to her that I was already in the truck, she saw a dark, shadowy uh. figure out of the corner of her eye. She said her stomach dropped and a paralyzing chill ran through her body. She began praying as she ran out of the house, and we never, ever went back again. Doppelganger type situation, but like not like visual, just mimicking her sounds or something to throw the mom off of like where her daughter was. Oh, son. So, son, yeah. Yeah, son was, yeah. I, I don't know. Like the dead flies, the possible blood stains, like the hair. Like, were there weird rituals going on in this house? Yeah, the, the windowsill, that was a, a really, with the blood, the flies, and then the little hairs. The hairs, and I know exactly what he's saying. It's like, if I wanted to, like, like if I had bangs and I wanted yeah, to like, yeah, trim yeah. my fringe or like, like the edges, like, or like when you get your hair cut, it's like such fine, yep. tiny little hairs. Yeah. And they're so obnoxious because <laughs> you can't get them off. Yeah. But what a weird combination of things. Mm-hmm. Hair, flies, blood. And and obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you were thinking the same thing. Like, what was in the bag? I know, I know. It doesn't sound like at least maybe his mom looked in the bag, but it doesn't sound like he looked in the bag. I mean, it seemed like, you know, thought it was a turkey or his mom said it was a turkey, but he's like, that isn't, that wasn't a turkey. So what, like, I'm thinking based on the ritual kind of angle and stuff like that, there was possibly, I mean, sadly, it's possibly a pet or something. Ugh, like some animal. Mm-hmm. Some little sacrificial animal. Well, I had a worse. I had a really, really dark, disturbing thought. Like about a head, a human head? Uh, well, I don't, maybe, but also like when he described the bathroom and the blood all, well, what we're assuming is blood, the red stains all over the place mm -hmm. and said that it seemed as if someone was trying to dispose of something in a toilet. I was like, oh murder went, man. Murder went down in that house and they tried to get like part. I mean, that's happened before with murders where they've. Well, I, I thought like an abortion gone wrong, oh. like a miscarriage, like, like something like like devil worship and they sacrificed a baby or like, I don't know. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I had the worst, most awful thoughts in my brain, but like a house, but like 
this idea that the house itself might have been evil. And like mm-hmm. if there was blood in all the rooms and flies and the hair specifically, because that's like intentional. No one's yeah. cutting their hair over an open window. Like that's so bizarre. Right. It makes no sense. So it's like, okay, all of the windows, dead, a collection of dead flies, yeah. hair, blood, like that seems ritualistic to me. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. the bathroom element and then the stench, definitely like something died right, in that right. house. Yeah. Something, someone, an animal, I don't know. Yeah, because that stuff does happen. I mean, I, I do feel like it tends to get overblown in the media. Like it's not frequent, you know, mm-hmm. like like this whole satanic panic thing. Right. Is uh, like way overblown. And, and there's plenty of like non-occult, mostly, mainly by far non-occult people who do equally horrific things. Absolutely. But, there, but there's an element of theatrics to the occult stuff when it does happen. Yes. Which is what makes it like noteworthy. You know, it's like uh, – because it feels larger than life. Yeah, like some random, I mean, it's just so tragic, but that recent thing that, you know, captivated the nation, I know this is a few weeks out when our fans are hearing this, based on when we record it, but the, what is it, Alex Murdaugh? I haven't been following the trial I didn't closely. follow it at all. But I've read a few articles, you know, the murder, where it's like, you know, totally horrific. Uh, big lawyer, big, big, you know, big wig or whatever like that, mm-hmm. kills wife and son. But there's no dark makeup. There's no, you know, that kind of stuff sadly happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just as tragic with the loss of life and how people die than it is when there's a, a ritualistic kind of overtone. But yes. there's something from all the horror movies we've seen. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, you know, in a Christian culture, the Judeo-Christian, the yep. fear of Satan, when you add the possibility of chanting mm-hmm. and, you know, dark, you know, like get all the candles out. And then there's a sacrifice to some kind of deity, whether the deity is even real or not, doesn't matter. It's just the fact that people believe it is and are doing something horrific like killing a baby to appease this thing. I don't it, it is there is an extra level of terror around that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like I think also in this country, like Christianity is the overarching religion. It's and, it's a mesh in our culture. Yeah. And it's like when you take a second to think about it, which I'm sure sure many people have, but yeah. you know, it's like if you go to church, mm-hmm. a Catholic church, yeah. uh, you're gonna have an altar, robes, chanting. Like it's yeah. it's it is ritual. It is ritualistic. Yeah. And so so when you, when you put an ugly that. spin on that, yeah. I think it strikes terror in the hearts mm. of people in a different way because yeah. it's something that is just one step removed from yeah. what they do every Sunday. And it's taking something that is so sacred to yes. be like like the foundation of their morality, of their spiritual life, like their all their hopes and dreams of this being real and true and going to heaven and all those uh-huh. things. And then you invert that. It is like probably like cutting to the core mm-hmm. of, of someone, you know, like like the most scary thing to take the right. thing that they love the most, the thing that's the most important to them in a variety of ways, and uh, bastardizing that and and uh, yeah, degrading that. Yes, yes. And so when you hear about a, a satanic mm-hmm. cult like murder, yeah. yeah, it just it is more terrifying to yeah, you. It, yeah. it, it is more shocking to you. It's harder to understand, harder mm-hmm. to wrap your head around than just some guy cracking. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about that story, but some guy cracking and just going off and killing his family. Right. Because that, that I feel like you're like, well, he was mentally ill. It was this, it was mm-hmm. that. Where the satanic element feels or could feel more yeah. like a specific kind of choice. You yeah. didn't just snap one day and start wearing a robe and like make that yeah. all happen very quickly. It was planned. It was. Yeah. Ah. And, 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 and most quote unquote Satanists are actually anti-theists. They're just people Correct. who are against religion and probably atheists. Likely, you know, it's just, uh, and there's others that are not, you know, that they're more like pagan in basis, but the Hollywood Satanists, which does exist in small amounts, sure. very small, 
there is something especially terrifying about that too, where it's like, it's hard for a lot of people not of people who are not people of faith to understand having faith in any kind of God. Right. But if you are going to have faith in a God, uh, okay, a loving God is the only one to me that like would make sense. You're going to worship a loving God. But then to take that extra weird step that a very small group of people do take where I'm going to worship a God who is the destroyer. Yeah. The gnasher of soul, you know, like uh, souls or whatever, the eater of souls, like that kind of take it to that place. It's like, oh, you're fucking dark. Like that's a really dark place to go uh, just mentally. Yeah. 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 (sighs) Ah. Good stories. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff or not. <laughs> or, or maybe it's all evil and we're just making everything worse by yeah, yeah. constantly bringing it up and talking about it and then giving it to millions of people for them. Feed me. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you ready to thank some Annabelles? Sure. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Uh, I can go first. Okay, how about it? I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting what we do here, uh, allowing us to, to have the studio we do, do cool things like the scholarship and charity and all the stuff. Uh, thank you to Brittany Green, Cameron Ray, Jessica Jackson, Alan Hugh, Katie, I think, K-A-I-T-I. So I think Katie. Mm-hmm. Christian Ray, Lucky Leora, Stephanie Slanick, uh, Haley Sever. Ooh, Sever is a good uh, horror-loving name. Mm-hmm. Mrs. or Ms. Sever. Uh, Laurel Payton, Joe Ormond or Ormond, and Tara Moore. Very good. I would also like to thank the following Annabelles. Amanda Charles Mallory, Rob Slanick. Maybe married. Did you have Slanick? I did. S-L-A-N-E-C. Okay, I would love this so much if it was like some like long lost cousin. Right. What are the odds? Reunited. Oh my gosh. Amanda Hampton. Connor Hymas. Sorry, Amanda Hampton sounds like the waspiest name ever. Yes. Amanda Hampton. I, I mean, I feel like Amanda Hampton has to has to live like what in the Hamptons or in, what's the place that you would go to as a kid? Was it the Nantucket? Hampton? Nantucket. Like, Don't make it sound fancy. We went there in a busted up old car and stayed at someone else's. No, house. but there's a lot of fancy places, right? Isn't that? I like just place like to clarify the, where a, where a Ms or Mrs. Hampton would. Well, live? yeah, like the the Kennedys have yeah. a home in Nantucket, and like yeah. Taylor Swift has a home in Nantucket. Oh, okay. Like it's. Bougie. Yeah, old money for America. I wonder what it would feel like to go there now as an adult with like my comprehension of understanding money. Because when I would go as a yeah. kid, I just thought like, cool, we're like, we're bringing all our own food on vacation. How fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, my parents were fucking broke. It was like, yeah, yeah. we couldn't afford to go to a restaurant. You guys were the riffraff. We were. We were. <laughs> uh, Frank Murray, Wendy St. John. I love that name. Mm-hmm. Paul DeCon- DeConic. Decon, yeah, deconic. <laughs> well, it's D E K O N I N. Oh, okay. It's like I'm yeah. getting tripped up on my ends. Lindsay Zirup, <laughs> Traley Powell, Robert Fitzharris, Brandon Fujihara, and Cyrus Kemp. Nice. Wendy St. John made me think of like a J. Crew catalog. Oh, but like, like, but like a female-centric J. Crew type thing of like Wendy St. Like, like you just go shop at Wendy St. John's. Well, maybe, and, and I'm just picturing like you know, uh, nice, not formal, but but uh, what would you call J. Crew level of clothes or like business casual? Business casual, or just I don't know. I just picturing some yoga lady on a beach, and she's well, yoga lady on the beach doesn't shop at J. Crew. Oh. You've got your brands very confused. But there is a brand, St. John. Yeah. St. John is a brand, like oh. a very high-end brand of clothing. And it tends to be like um, a little stuffy, mm. a little can 
uh, can be targeted towards a older demographic. Yeah. And it's a lot of like heavy knit. Ah. Like really heavy duty knit. Yeah, I was picturing things. Wendy St. John, the, that store being like spendy. Yeah. You know, uh, an affluent uh, uh, woman of a certain age. <laughs> yeah, yeah there. That, that would be. Mm-hmm. J. Crew can still be expensive, weirdly enough. Hmm. Okay. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I can give you a whole story about Jenna and how she ran that company and how it changed fashion forever and how nice. we look at catalogs, the whole cool. thing. Spoopy shout outs. Okay. To Ryan from Stasha. Happy birthday, big bro. May Nimrod bless this anniversary of your hatching. <laughs> awesome. That's a cute one. To Maddie Patty from your aunt Summer. Happy belated birthday. And to Leanne from Leanne. Happy birthday to herself. She doesn't have anybody else who enjoys this show. So she got herself a shout out. And I like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think it's cute. Uh, and that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C. for the work along with Ryan Handelsman and his team on our social media. Thanks to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Tyler C. for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to our book editor, Drew Atana, for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four. Thank you to producer Olivia Lee for finding the second story I told this week. I found the first. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch our show, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see the pictures that accompany episodes and more, at Scared to Death Podcast. Also have a TikTok at Scared to Death Podcast uh, with show highlights. Find some new TikToker fans. Come on, guys. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog ad-free and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. And Magic Productions. <laughs> Old Willy Billy. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. I was shocked, you know? They were always such a good team, so successful. But to do something like that? To exceed their budget? While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.